Hey, uh, I'm Pastor Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm calling an audible today. We're not going to be in the Gospel of John. Here's why. We got a timing issue. Um, and uh, we, uh, we're just going into uh, the season of Passover in the Gospel of John. And uh, so I want to wait a few weeks uh, to get to that section. And it's providential because it gives me an opportunity uh, to do a mini-series. And so we're going to, uh, for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be doing a series on foundational values. So this morning, if you'll open your uh, Bibles to 2 Timothy... 2 Timothy chapter 3, mark your place there, we'll get there eventually, but I'm going to start in Matthew 7, so mark 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then turn to Matthew chapter 7. So as I say, I'm going to do a mini-series, it's entitled Foundational Values, and we're going to look at four foundational values that are essential for the Christian life. And the, the key word in our series is that word foundation. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 7, hopefully you're there, uh, verses 24 through 27, we'll put it on the screen for those of you who aren't there yet. Uh, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall <clears throat> because it had its foundation on the rock. But, Jesus warns, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. In this parable, Jesus refers to a house, and he's talking um, not about a literal house, but he's talking uh, about, you know, metaphorically about your life. And the idea is that every single person builds their life on something. They build their life on something or they build their life on someone. Some build their life on possessions, and everything's founded on what can I get. Some people build their lives on their pleasures, and everything's founded on what makes me happy. Some people build their life on people, and everything's founded on who can make me happy. And some people build their lives on accomplishments, and everything's founded on what is it that I can achieve. And certainly there are other foundations that people can build upon. The ones I've mentioned in and of themselves they're, they're not necessarily bad in your life, but <laughs> they make a lousy foundation for you to build your life upon. Why? Well, because Jesus says here in the verses that we've just read that storms are coming. The storms are coming. How many of you have gone through a storm? Can I see a show of hands? Right? <laughs> Uh, how many of you are going through a storm right this moment? Can I see some of the same hands going up? And, and, and here's what I, what I know. That uh, storms are absolutely uh, a given in life. It could be a financial storm. It could be a medical storm. It could be a relational storm. It could be a career storm. It, it's kind of like, you know, it's been said about motorcycle riders, right? There's two types. There's those that have been down and those that are going down. Sorry, guys. Uh, right? But, but when it pertains to the storms uh, in our life, it, it's kind of the same thing. There are those that have been through storms. There are those that are currently going through storms. And 
all of us will eventually go through a storm. And here's what I know about the storms of life, that they shipwreck our possessions. They shipwreck our pleasures. They shipwreck our relationships. They shipwreck our accomplishments, right? And if those are the things that you anchor your life upon, then you are in big trouble. When I was a kid growing up down in the Redondo Beach area, there was a a shipwreck. Um, and uh, it happened uh, before I was born, uh, but the ship, was, which ironically was known as the Dominator, um, was, was there, very prominently seen right there at the tip of the Palos Verdes Peninsula. You could see it from the beach, just this big, rusting hulk of a ship, right? And the, the <laughs> it was built during World War II. It was built uh, for war, right? But ironically, the Dominator was dominated, when its anchor failed and it was in the midst of a storm. Uh, so what's the answer to the, inevi- the inevitable storms that we either are going through, that we've been through, that we're going to go through? What's the answer to these storms? Here's what Jesus says in the verses we just read. He says that our lives must be anchored and built upon his word, his word. Uh, Hebrews 6.19 tells us that the hope of God's word is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And that truth has never been more relevant than it is today. Because God's word is under attack like never before in the day in which we live. Speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus said this. He said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. When Jesus talks about the thief, he's speaking of Satan, who's also known as the father of lies. Jesus called him the father of lies. And Jesus said that Satan is a murderer and that the truth is not in him because he hates the truth. And from the beginning, Satan has challenged the truth of God's word. We see it there in in Genesis chapter 3. And and Satan appears to to Eve to tempt her. And, and, uh, you know, he's he's like, hey, why why don't you eat of this fruit? She's like, oh, we can't do that. God, God said we can't do that. And he's like, did God really say that? He sows doubt uh, into Eve. And then he challenges. He's like, no, you're not going to die if you eat that fruit of that tree. You can't trust God. You can't trust his word, right? So that's the way he operates. He sows these seeds of doubt. And and then he substitutes a lie for the truth. This This is the way it's been from the beginning. And because Satan is the father of lies... He has children who are liars too. Jesus told the Pharisees this in John chapter 8, verse 44. He said to them, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Why? Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Some translations say he's speaking his own native tongue, right? Because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. Now, it's no surprise that the world attacks God's word. No surprise whatsoever. What's shocking and what is the most insidious of dangers is that there is an attack against God's word coming from churches across America today. Jesus warned, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. 
And today what we see is false prophets who have gone out into the world and are in many pulpits today and they are blindly embracing a thing that's known as progressive Christianity. Maybe you've heard of it. Progressive Christianity. Now, the thing is, it is not progressive, nor is it Christian. It's a lie just in its, in its, uh, in its packaging, in its, in its advertised, stated truth. It is not progressive, and it's not Christianity. What is progressive Christianity teaching? Well, progressive Christianity basically sees Jesus not as God, but only as a mystical connection to God. In other words, Jesus is a good example to follow, but he's not the absolute authority. You, you, can, you can just hear what he has to say, and if you don't like it, well, then that's not your truth, and you don't have to accept it. That's what progressive Christianity teaches. Progressive Christianity maintains that the Bible is not the word of God, but rather it is the product of men, and that it is not as enlightened as we are today. Uh, these men wrote it a couple thousand years ago. That was true for their world, but we live in a different world. And so this is the idea of progressive Christianity, that it, the word of God needs to conform to a changing world and to its values. Um, progressive Christianity places more value in questioning God's word than it does in submitting to biblical doctrine as absolute truth. This is, this is the idea. It's the, there's a phrase that is very popular in progressive Christianity. It's called, um, we're, I'm going to deconstruct my faith. And the idea, the, the, the lying stated principle is deconstruct all of the, the things that you know about God and then rebuild your faith to be more in line with the world in which we live. That's exactly what it teaches. Progressive Christianity asserts that Jesus is merely one of many ways to experience God and that people of all faiths and of all religions are saved, right? So there is, there is a de-emphasis on God's word. There is a de-emphasis and, a, and a, just an, an, an abolition of this idea that there actually is a heaven and a hell. And it's like, look, if you're a good person, if you sincerely want to follow after God, you're cool. This is what they teach, now, the big problem with that is that every single one of these points that I've just shared with you denies the foundational truth of the Bible. They're lies. This is not truth. The, the, the idea is the truth of God's word is that Jesus alone is God. The idea of God's word, the, 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 the fundamental bedrock truth is that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus said that. That the word of God is absolute truth. That it is the compass that points to true north. And everything else is your feelings and your emotions. I've told you about, you know, I used to have a boat. I'd go over to Catalina all the time. And I had a little compass sitting in it. Just this little 18-foot boat. And I'd go across. Brenda would freak out when I would be going over. She, first time I was ever going to go. She's like, are you crazy? You're going to go over the island? So I called the harbor master over at Avalon. I'm like, hey, look, I'm thinking about coming across. I've got a compass. Like, you know, do you think that's a good idea? And uh, she says, well, well how, how big is your boat? I said, it's 18 feet. She's like, people come across in sea dews all the time. Like, it's no big deal. 
And, and so we would go, and, and nine times out of ten, you go, you can't see the island uh, when you're starting out. You get halfway across, you can't see the mainland, you can't see the island. Like, and, and what do you need? You need a compass to tell you where the island is. I took my dad with me one time, and we're about halfway across, and my dad's like, you're going in the wrong direction. I'm like, well, the compass tells me I'm going in the right direction. He's like, I can feel it. You're going in the wrong direction. I go, well, look, Dad, if it's all the same to you, I'm going to trust the compass. And, uh, and I got plenty of fuel, so I'll tell you what. We'll go, uh, you know, another half hour, and if I don't see anything, I'll turn around. He's like, okay, cool. Half hour later, lo and behold, guess what appears? Out of the mist, there's the island right where the compass said it was going to be, right? Great illustration that there's part of us, there's a way that seems right to a man, the Bible says, but its end is the way of death. And, and so we have to go, God's word is the compass. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, he speaks of how God has revealed himself, uh, not only in his word, but he talks about how God's revealed himself through his creation. And he says that despite that, that there are some people who refuse to accept the truth. Here's what he said. He said, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a, result, their as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols. King Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, and progressive Christianity is nothing other, it's not new, it, it, it's, it's repackaged lies that have been, you know, going on forever. Um, and in particular, you may have heard me talk about moralistic therapeutic deism, and it's just that repackaged. Let me explain that. Um, in their book, Soul Searching, a couple of sociologists, Christian Smith and Melinda Denton, they interviewed 3,000 Christian teenagers. They wanted to know what they believed about God. And from their research, what they did is they mapped out what the prevailing belief system was that was held by these teenagers at the turn of the 21st century. Here's why that's important, because we're now 20 years later, and so these are the people, unfortunately, that have now occupied pulpits, that are, that are populating a lot of our churches, and, and here's what uh, they found in this belief system. First of all, they termed the belief system moralistic therapeutic deism. And there's five basic points of this belief system. Number one, that a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. So far, so good, right? That's, that's true. Number two, God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other. Okay, that's not unbiblical either. Number three, here's where it starts to turn, that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. Number four is that God doesn't need to be involved in our life except when he's needed to fix a problem. And number five is that good people go to heaven when they die. Now, this belief system, moralistic therapeutic deism, it's moral because it takes a moral approach to life. Be good, be fair, be nice. It's also therapeutic because it provides therapeutic benefits to its adherents. Uh, in other words, instead of having a responsibility like, you know, repentance from sin, uh, 
or, or living as a servant of God or building character through suffering, all biblical truths. Instead, what it does is it relegates God to a genie in a bottle who exists just to make us happy and grant me my three wishes, right? <clears throat> Finally, the belief system is deistic. Um, deism is a belief that there is a God who created the world, but that he doesn't intervene in its affairs. And in classic deism, the belief is that God created everything and then he split. And now it's kind of like the Hunger Games, you know, good luck and may the odds ever be in your favor, right? That's classic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism is the idea that God created everything and split, but now he's on call, right? And so, you know, you can just dial up your genie whenever you need anything. In other words, as the authors summarize, the authors of this study, they, they said this, quote, uh, God is selectively available for taking care of our needs. He's something like a combination between a divine butler and a cosmic therapist. He's always on call. He takes care of any problems that arise in our life. Uh, and he helps people to feel better about themselves. And here's the key. He does not become too personally involved in the process. Now, let me ask you, who's really God in that theology? You. Your God in that theology. But listen, that's not what the Bible teaches. And by the way, progressive Christianity is this repackaged. And, and the idea is, is that, listen, what the Bible says is that <clears throat> that's not the God of the Bible, right? God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he said, there's no other God. There never has been and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord and there's no other savior, First, I predicated your rescue, and then I saved you, and I proclaimed it to the world. No foreign God has ever done this. Your witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord, from eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo, let me use a, a popular word these days, deconstruct. Nobody can deconstruct what I have done. So the question then becomes for us, it comes down to this, what is the truth about God and specifically what is the truth about God's word? And that brings us to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We pick it up in verse 16. Paul speaking to Timothy, a young pastor who's, who's under his discipleship, he tells him, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1. He goes on, he tells Timothy, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach progressive Christianity. No, that's not what it says. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and they'll be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill 
your ministry. Here in our text, here in these verses, Paul's writing to Timothy. This is a young pastor that he's been discipling, who he's training up. And Timothy is now pastoring a church that Paul planted in a place called Ephesus. And Timothy's got his hands full. And what's happening in Ephesus when Paul writes this is very much what's happening across the world today and what's happening in American pulpits today, that there is a battle for truth and that there's a huge need to contend for the faith. And so here in these verses, Paul lays out three key truths which are going to make up our outline for the remainder of our study. He's, he's going to point out that future judgment is coming. He's going to point out, secondly, that fake news is a real thing. And thirdly, he's going to point out that focusing on the truth is the difference between life and death. So we start off with Paul pointing out that future judgment is coming. Notice there in verse 1 of chapter 4, what does Paul say? He says, a day is coming when Jesus will judge everyone on earth. The Bible says this, that it is appointed for men to die once, but after this... The judgment. Notice two key things about that statement. First of all, the time of your death is appointed. It is appointed unto man once to die. Your time is, of death is appointed. You can't change that time. There is an appointed time when you will drop dead. The statistics are overwhelming. One out of every one person <laughs> dies. And that time's appointed. Second truth there is Paul says that after you die, you're going to face judgment. You're going to face judgment. And, and the idea is how you live your life has consequences. Not just for today, but for forever, for all of eternity. And so Paul warns Timothy, hey, preach the word. Why? Number one, because everyone's going to be judged. As well, Paul exhorts Timothy to preach the word, secondly, because fake news is a real thing. Paul says this, and notice again in verses 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers. Never been more easy than it is right now in 2021 to dial up whoever teaches wherever you scratch. You can get it itched by, you know, just finding the, the teacher that you like online, Right? And he says, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth to be turned aside to fables. That word fables there uh, in verse four, it literally means a fiction, a fabrication, and a falsehood. That's the idea of a fable. And therein lies the problem with coming judgment that many are ignorant of the truth and they are deceived. They're ignorant of the truth and they're deceived. This is why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth, and then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants." The idea is that people buy into the lie and then they become enslaved by the father of lies, Satan. And so they are profoundly deceived. 
Now, there's a story in 1 Kings chapter 22, and you see King Jehoshaphat hooking up with King Ahab, and basically, uh, Ahab asks Jehoshaphat, hey, look, would you go to battle with me? Would you join forces with me um, to regain our land? And so Jehoshaphat says, hey, sure, that sounds like a good idea, but let's ask God first. And so they go and they ask God, and all the prophets that they seek, they go, oh yeah, let's do this thing. And Jehoshaphat goes, oh, wait a minute, uh, what about the prophet Micaiah? We, we haven't asked him. And, and Ahab goes, no, let's not ask him, I hate that guy, because he never tells me what I want to hear. That's the idea, itching ears, right? And that's what basically what Paul says to Timothy here. He says, look, the time will come, and 2,000 years later, here it is. The time's going to come when they're not going to endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they're going to heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, to a falsehood, to a fabrication. Why? Because I like that truth better than what the Bible says. So I'm going to embrace that and I'm going to build a belief system that allows me to do that. The idea is people hear what they want to hear and they seek out people who will tell them what they want to be told. They want fake news. Why? Well, Paul says there in verse 4 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 that what drives them is their desires. Their desires. That word desires in the Greek, it means a craving. It means a longing. It means a desire for the forbidden. And certainly the world is driven by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. But keep in mind, Paul is talking to Timothy about how he should teach his church. And the idea is not just the world who struggles with these temptations, it's all of us. Which is why Paul is exhorting Timothy here to preach the word. Hey, they're going to go shopping for the truth that they like better. You got to preach the truth. When you're mid-channel and you're in the fog and your gut says, I I know it's that way, and the truth of God's word says, that's the wrong way. Which are you going to trust? What are you going to hold to? Paul says in verse 2, look, you're going to need to preach the word to convince your people. You're going to need to preach the word to rebuke your people. You're going to need to preach the word to exhort your people. He says you got to do it with long suffering and you have to do it with lots of teaching. And the idea is rather than giving up on people, you keep patiently instructing the people. Why? Because God's word is the only thing that can transform you. Absolutely the only thing that can transform your life. Isaiah the prophet, he said, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and they make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. It's going to accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. All the trees of the field shall cut up their hands. Listen to this. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. Right? And so the, the idea here is that cypress trees naturally produce thorns. Right? Uh, or rather, you know, the, the 
you know, briars and so on, um, the, 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 this is the, the natural thing. Thorn bushes produce thorns um, and, and briars produce thorns, briars, barbs. And, and the picture here is that your life, my life, in the natural, that's the fruit that we produce. We are sinners by nature and by choice. Paul, he was lamenting, who, you know, what a wretched man I am. Not that I don't want to do, that's what I do, you know, uh, and, and that that I want to do, I don't do. You know, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? He goes on to give the right answer. When you ask a question in church, what's the right answer? Jesus, most often, right? Jesus is going to save me. What Isaiah is, is saying here, God speaking through Isaiah, he's saying, look, in the natural, you're only going to produce thorns and briars. That's, that's the fruit of your life. But if you feed on God's word, even though in the natural, that's what you will produce, you will now start to produce supernatural fruit. So you're a thorn bush. Now, all of a sudden, you're, you know, you've got this fruitful tree that, that's blooming. It's like that, that shouldn't happen. Why? Because it's God's word doing this, this fundamental transforming work in your life. In other words, God's word doesn't change to fit the world doesn't change to fit our modern understanding of things and we go, well, I'm going to tweak God's word so that, hey, this feels right to me, so I'm going to make God's word say that and that's what we're going to do. It doesn't work that way. Which is why Paul says back in chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may complete, be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work, good work. In other words, the idea is that the Bible is supernaturally inspired. It is the very word of God. The Bible says, 2 Peter chapter 1, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, it's not of human origin. For prophecy never came by the will of man. And that's what's being asserted today in progressive Christianity. Hey, you know what? That's outdated. It was written 2,000 years ago. That was right for their, word, word, their world, but it's not right for our world. So it needs to evolve with the times. Peter says it doesn't work that way. Never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. By the way, next week we're going to be looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Another essential foundation for us. Now, for Peter to say this, this is a convenient claim. You go, okay, great. You want to claim that the Bible is, an, is without error. You want to claim that these men who wrote the Bible, common critique of the Bible, by the way, was written by men. No, it was written by God working through men. And you go, oh, well, that's really convenient for you to say. How do you prove that? Well, there are a lot of proofs that the word of God is true. Um, a huge proof that the word of God is true is that the Bible contains literally hundreds of prophecies that were given hundreds and hundreds of years in advance that every single one of them without fail has come true or is going to come true. There's over 300 prophecies about Jesus coming, dying on the cross for the sins of the world, over 300 already fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a mathematical impossibility that that happened by random chance. The number is bigger than the molecules in the, in the solar system, literally. It, it is a mathematical impossibility that 300 prophecies would all be fulfilled completely, totally, accurately. And the Bible has hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. 
God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he said this. He said, I am God and there's none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. And he has. And he does. J.I. Packer, he says that there's only one conclusion, that the Bible is God speaking. The Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God to transform the child of God into the image of the Son of God. That's how it works. And because that's true, the Bible is the ultimate authority for how we are to live. It is that compass that we have to set the course of our life by. Which is why Paul tells Timothy in verse 16 there, chapter 3, that the word of God is profitable for doctrine. The idea is it tells us what's right. It's profitable for reproof. The idea is it tells us what's wrong. It's profitable, Paul says, for correction. In other words, this is how you get right. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. The idea is this is how you stay right. So here at Reliance Church, I don't just believe this to be true. I know it's true. I know it's true. I've been a pastor for 30 years. We have oceans of testimonies of people who have taken God at his word. And the proof that his word is true is that it's radically transformed people's lives. Marriages have been healed. Families have been strengthened. People with deep-seated hurts and wounds find themselves to be healed. People with addictions are set free. Why? Because God's word is true, that it fundamentally, it fundamentally transforms us. The psalmist said this, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Not to what feels good, not to what seems right, but to the compass of God's word. So we put, as a, as a direct result of that truth, we put a heavy emphasis on proclaiming God's word. I'm going to teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's what you're always going to find on Sunday gatherings. We're going to teach the Bible in our midweek groups, in our midweek community groups. We're going to base, uh, you come in for counseling, you're going to be counseled by God's word. And that's why we encourage you guys today, listen, get plugged into a community group. Be growing in the word of God. Get your kids plugged into a midweek group where they're going to grow in the word of God. Uh, maybe you've got, you know, difficulty in your marriage or in some other area. Get biblical counseling. Grow in the word of God. Download, you know, our church app and go through a ba- daily Bible reading program. And don't just read it. Like James says, don't just look in the mirror and walk away and, and forget what you look like. You got to be doers of God's word. So you endeavor to put feet on your faith. Well, that brings us to the third and final point that the focus of the truth is the difference between life and death. It's the difference between life and death. Notice again, verses 16 and 17. Chapter three, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. What's right? For reproof. What's wrong? For correction. How to get right? For instruction in righteousness. How to stay right. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The idea of being complete and thoroughly equipped is that you're perfectly equipped and prepared for life right? Uh, let me ask you, does that describe you? Does that describe you? Or, or do you consider yourself, you know, uh, do you consider yourself somebody who's complete and thoroughly equipped? Uh, or like the rest of us, do you need help, right? And I need to be thoroughly equipped. Paul told the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And listen, understand the alternative to that is death. Here's the fact. The day is coming when you will be judged. You will stand before God. You will be judged. And it ain't going to be politically correct. You know, it's not going to be, oh, that's your truth? Okay, good. Oh, you know, no, not, not according to my truth? Okay, well, what's your truth? Oh, okay, you lived according to your truth. Great, come on in. It does not work that way. You can't rewrite it. You can't reinterpret the Bible as you see fit. There's only one truth, and everything else is error. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the very power of God. My question for you is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or do you think you know better than God? Like I said, next week we're going to be looking at the foundational value of the work of the Holy Spirit. I thought it would be fun if you want to text in questions about the Holy Spirit this week, do that. I'll try and work it into the message and answer your questions about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the third person in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to be focusing on the Holy Spirit's work in our life because that's absolutely foundational. I'm going to close with three questions as I always do. Uh, and I want you to write them down, take a walk with them. Question number one, ask yourself this, what am I building on and is that foundation vulnerable to the next storm? Because the storms are coming. So what foundation are you building on and is it ready for the next storm? Second question, what good things am I tempted to prioritize as foundational things? Why? What good things do, do, do tempt me to go, okay, well, here's what God's word says, but uh, I really like, you know, this good thing. And, and you know, we, we elevate them to a foundational thing. Why do we do that? Take a walk with that question. Third question Am I complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work? And if not, what have I neglected and what can I do to now prepare?